it began with um, Jesus just, you know, the Holy Spirit just um, laid it on my heart when I held Benjamin and I looked in his eyes as a baby. And I thought, Lord, I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this apart from you. And it was just this prayer that emerged from my heart and knowing my own experiences and what I battled through in life alone, I thought, Lord, I believe, I believe that there is a way to raise a family, even in this culture, even in this day, that is within your design. I mean, you you made the earth, you threw the stars into place, you, you know, made puppy breath to smell good. You made roses that bloom in the wilderness that no one will ever see. I mean, that is the God that I know. I've had the privilege of getting to know you over the last year or so, Mm. and you're extraordinary, and you intrigue me. I've heard it said that some people have a God-shaped life. Mm. And I've been thinking about that phrase, Jane, and like, that's the best way I can describe my experience of you. Mm. And all the mess and mire of modern living, like Mm -hmm. your life is increasingly taking on a God-shaped personality. I think in some ways, when I observe you and relate with you, you embody a feminine expression of this consenting to a path and process of becoming, this Mm -hmm. becoming good soil. Mm -hmm. And Sherry and I spend lots of time wrestling with the gender expression of this. Like, Mm -hmm. what does this mean for the heart of a man? What does this mean for the heart of a woman? Mm -hmm. But I see this expressed in you and Mm -hmm. I'm so intrigued. And I just see it in your risk taking. I just noticed you're you're a risk taker in the most intimate and peculiar ways. <laughs> and like you, you the generosity is an atmosphere around mm. your life. Mm. You're very wonderfully inefficient. Mm. Just like God. You are. That's where celebrating in a world that worships efficiency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I received two invitations on one day. Mm-hmm. And one was an electronic digital pop open in my e-box on an email, this envelope with a card and hurrah and pizzazzles. And on the same day, I received an actual parchment with actual pens, with actual watercolors from an actual person, which was you, oh. for our family to come to an actual feast. And it had a whole chicken next to it, a frozen chicken that came from your actual property that you guys chopped its head off, de-plucked it, and you had never done that sort of thing before. This isn't like your upbringing, right? No. Like, Jane, I sat there holding the parchment, and it just felt so wonderfully inefficient. Mm. It felt so real. And I could just feel this thing of like... I love this woman. I respect this woman. Mm. I esteem this woman. Who is this woman? (laughs) I want to get to know her. Like your deep love for beauty and your Mm. role as mom to four wild-hearted children and Mm. pursuing the heart of your husband. Like you Mm. are an enigma Mm. with a God-shaped life. Mm. And so I've been eager to bring you on this podcast (laughs) and and dig in and say, tell me, tell me what makes you tick. Oh, 
It's a welcome. Oh, thank you. That feels oh so kind and so generous, Morgan. I look at what God has done and um it's hard to know even what stories to tell mm-hmm. because I, I remember being at, you know, the beginning or middle of what I have um memory of, you know walking with God, like that journey, being aware of it, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of the consciousness of coming to and being like, oh, wow, this is, this is a life I'm, I'm in. This is a God I can engage with. Um, Because I grew up always being aware of God. I was Mm -hmm. born into a Christian home, but it's like being in a garden and realizing that you're in a garden and there's a fake tree in the center of it Mm. and there's nothing real about it. And then you look around, there's a lot of pretty flowers. But then you look a little closer and they're all silk. Mm. And then you look at the soil and you you think, wow, there's there's things growing here. But how? And then you look at the soil and it's a desert. Mm. And the soil is impenetrable. And that's sort of, I think, a picture of where I um, sort of came to when I was 29 and looked around and thought, what in the world? What, what is this? What, what have I been living? Why, how did I even get here? What of my life is even mine? Mm-hmm. Um, it was so disorienting. And Were you married at the time? I was married. Yeah, I was 29. I um, had a 15-month-old and was uh, pregnant with our second. Mm-hmm. And, and what was the context of your life at that point? My husband's faith was still growing at the time. He was um, new in his faith. He had a mentor in his life that was giving him all these books um, to read, kind of just Christian, you know, um, but deeply theological. And as I began to watch him read and take in, he's very intelligent. His journey in the faith has been deeply intellectual. Um, My experience as a young person was not that at all, so I sort of saw— uh, I had prayed for my husband for four years at this point um, for him to come to faith. We were not, he was not a believer when we got married. And I I was, but in a sense, we were equally yoked, mm-hmm. you know, in a very real way. I I did have God from an early, early age. I believe that from the moment I was born, I was thrust into God's hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is how I look at it. And I'm 29. He um, is coming to faith in this very like real and voracious way. It was actually like lit the own, like my own fire within me mm-hmm. of like, dang, he's gonna like know more than I do about this stuff. What do I actually know? Uh-huh. You know, and what do I like? I don't even think I know the word. I don't even think I know what do. What is it I actually believe? You know, he was asking all these wonderful questions, and so it began this um, journey of my own that I wanted to send roots down deep. I wanted to know what I believed. You know, I grew up being um, pretty one, but not the smart one. Mm. And so I think that I, I didn't even feel allowed to, um, to learn for the sake of becoming, you know, even knowledgeable. It was like, your childlike faith will just get you through. Hmm. But and you kind of embodied that persona of I really the pretty did. one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, well, I guess this is who I am. Mm-hmm. So um I hope it's enough, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, but I can't 
I can't be, or I'm not even allowed to be. Mm. People don't even believe that I could be, you know, intellectual or have something to offer besides what they see on the outside. So what was the shift for you looking back where you really found mm-hmm. that I am a student, mm-hmm. I am a learner, and it actually is about process mm-hmm. and it is slow and steady. That's mm-hmm. one kind of theme mm-hmm. that I see coursing mm-hmm. through your life is you have embraced so deeply the kingdom reality that slow and steady is where most inner transformation comes, where most relationship comes. Mm-hmm. And you embody that, but that really swims against the current. Like, where did that shift happen for you? Mm. Um, motherhood. I mean, motherhood was such a shift for me. I think that um, the challenge is, is that in our culture, we, uh, and and from a young age, I think, you know, the schooling um, encourages this as well. It's the next thing. What are you building towards? What are you creating? What are you going to do with your life? And then you layer that with, you can be anything you want to be. Mm. And that's just a cultural axiom that's unhelpful. Yes. It's not actually not true. I don't believe it to be right. true. Um, we each have, you know, a set of gifting and resources and design and talents and personality. And then you couple that with the actual DNA, the code of God that is written into our individual image-bearing beings. And that is what wants to be released. Yes. And so I, I, motherhood for me was the slow and steady. Mm-hmm. I bucked and I rejected it and I resisted it, Morgan, <laughs> so much. I thought this should just be easy. This should just come naturally because so everyone says. you were actually says, surprised. Oh, I was so surprised. I just, I had, you know, I think I babysat twice growing up. Wow. So it was the first time I'm ever changing diapers. I'm dealing with, you know, screaming babies all the time. And it's overwhelming. I mean, it just can take you out. And so I, I had to wrestle with my own just you know, selfishness and pride and wanting to move on to more important things. Mm. You know, I had things to do. I didn't know what they were yet, but I had things to do. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I've all the messages out there, even, you know, in the Christian culture, which are well-meaning but unhelpful, too, I've found in, um, you know, mountaintop experiences and meeting God in these amazing conferences and stuff and bless them. Like, I mean, but when you go for a day and you come back home and expect to be changed, yes. what what do you go do on Monday morning? Mm. What you know that, that it sort of falls apart. I find, and mm-hmm. I've been to them. I've been to the you know the sort of moment on the on the mountain mm-hmm. and come home and you feel disoriented. Mm-hmm. You feel bewildered. Why don't I have the joy and passion that they have? And what do I do? You know, I'm supposed to do mm-hmm. something amazing, be big and, you know, loud and have important things to say. And yeah, I, I um, motherhood was the place for me where I really, um, I had to, I had to look around and realize that what I saw, I didn't like. Yes. And then it, there was the wrestling with God. I mean, literally wrestling, Jacob wrestling God, mm. like. I don't like this. I don't like what I've seen, but change me. Like in it, you know, bless me, but it was like change me. Mm. And you know, blessing actually means to pull and stretch and pull to straight, which is 
extremely painful. It's painful. Jane, I hear these themes of this voracious appetite to seek out, right? To go after God Mm -hmm. as he expresses himself in community Mm -hmm. and also this holy constraint of like, I am under I am under care, I'm under connection, I'm mm. under leadership mm. of a God who is is harnessing something. Yeah. It's a it's this eagerly expecting, it's col- it's anticipating good things, mm-hmm. but under some constraint. And yes. that motherhood really did it for you. Because yeah. right, it's diapers and it feels stifling oh. in some ways. But then the the beauty of it, the paradox is I meet you now with your oldest at eight and a half and Mm -hmm. youngest little Mm -hmm. precious Lily at two Mm -hmm. and a half. And Mm -hmm. like you've embodied it and it's been the garden Mm -hmm. to cultivate this woman Mm -hmm. that does have much to bring to the world. But what I see is first and foremost, it's happening in those lives. Mm -hmm. And that's not a small thing Mm -hmm. that actually in a kingdom model, Mm -hmm. like it begins with family. Mm -hmm. And so you're consenting your living under constraints has actually formed you mm-hmm. and forged you mm-hmm. into this wholehearted woman in process that can be entrusted mm-hmm. with many and much. Mm-hmm. I think of your story like you, you did eject. You guys were in Arizona mm-hmm. in a pretty suburban, developed, manicured Yes. groomed, modern <laughs> yes. culture, right? Are those fair words? Oh, yeah. I mean, multiple cities, Los Angeles, Newport Beach, Phoenix, oh, Denver. Yeah. We've lived in wow. the city. And vocationally, some mm-hmm. of your work, mm-hmm. your family, professionally mm-hmm. like that, yeah. you were embedded in those cultures. Yes. And you ejected yes. and you bought a farm. And we did. Take me to Denver, LA, Phoenix, and eject. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you wake up and one day you have chickens and bunnies <laughs> and, and dogs and bees. We're processing meat and birds. You're processing I, meat I birds. Just, you know what a meat bird is. I know. What, what the I heck? I didn't know that a year ago. But yes. Uh, so it was Denver first. First year of marriage. Oh, oh, golly, it's so hard to even say. But I would say one of the hardest years. They, man, they were all hard, Morgan. They were so much difficulty. I mean, to let God in, like uproot the world, it is not for the faint of heart. I mean, I was severely depressed for that first year of marriage. It was just, it was so hard. It was very dark. Um, So Denver, not a lot of gardening going on internally or externally. <laughs> it was just survival. Um, and then we went to, we actually went back to LA. Um, yeah, and then Phoenix. Phoenix, I don't know. Our first round in Phoenix, I don't think it really begun. I hadn't become a mother yet. For me, that was, you know, the transition within my marriage was so significant. It was something, but it was not enough. It was something, but it was not mm. enough to take me to the deeper places. Um, from there, we went to Orange County, and that was when things really, I mean, it was, the veil was torn away. It's hard to say that, you know, it was a gradual process up until that point. That is, for me, New Year's Eve 2013. I mean, it is just crystal clear. It was three months leading up to that moment. 
I could sense Jesus was like, are you going to grab my hand and trust me? Because I'm going to hit eject on some things. I'm going to eject you out of some things that have been oppressing you that you're not even aware of. And you found yourself New Year's Eve looking at the oppression, looking around and seeing clearly, this is not life. This is not life. And what that meant for me in that moment was, are you going to go with God? Are you going to come with me and trust me with everything? Mm. And um, on the other side of that, it literally felt like death. Like, if I choose this, I am choosing significant death mm. to some of the most primary ex, you know, um, exterior relationships in my life. So very practically, mm. it's the relationships that felt like death. Like, yeah. you are lit- literally yeah. having to walk away from relationships that yes. are a lifeline but are yes. not serving you. No, no. And... Jesus and his kindness took me to scripture after scripture after scripture that I had never read before. I had never heard in the church. I mean, I grew up in the church, you know, and all the stuff he's taking me to has mm. never been preached. Wow. And I was just like, okay, this is in here, and this is what he's trying to show me. Am I going to believe him? Can that- you give me an example? Like one, just one mm-hmm. scripture that comes to mind sure. where it was like, and now I see, mm-hmm. like he is mm-hmm. illuminating mm-hmm. a way, a truth, and a life. And mm-hmm. you go, what? Why did I never see this before? Yeah. Um, those who take up their cross and follow me have you, you know, will end up leaving fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and homes in order to follow me. Mm. Those are like these are my true disciples. Like, you know. Just the idea that he doesn't ask much of people who don't follow him, but he asks a lot of those who do. And I don't think we like that very much. You know, we don't want that to be true. Um, and then another was, you know, in I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. Mm. And in the families, there will be two for me and three against me, or three for me and two against me. And I, uh, man, I read those verses um, when he calls his disciples, you know, and the 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 one guy's like, oh, but I, you know, I just got to go home and right. bury my bury my dad real quick. Right. And Jesus like comes back with fire, and he's like, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. And I just, I mean, for me, it was like, how can I not? I mean, I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose Jesus, but it is going to, it's going to be war. I'm back in the garden that Mm -hmm. you described. Yeah. This beautiful garden from a distance. And all of a sudden I see you, you know, with this revelation light of these scriptures and you go, that tree's actually not real. Those flowers are silk. Mm -hmm. This is staged dirt. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it's Mm -hmm. almost as though I see like this one fresh um, sprout, mm-hmm. this early spring breaking through the fake dirt. Mm-hmm. And there's actually this green life. Mm-hmm. There's this bit mm-hmm. of trueness mm-hmm. that pops open and you say, yes, I, you're the master gardener, mm-hmm. father, mm-hmm. give me my orders. Yes. <laughs> I love that you said yeah. there was about 10 years in there. That yeah. It was the hidden years. Yeah. You know, I think in men with masculinity, mm-hmm. One of the phrases I love to use is, 
it's a decade of middle management. Yeah. Like no guy <laughs> likes middle management. Sign right? me up for that. Exactly. Like the assistant <laughs> to the regional manager. I was actually reading in Kings yesterday <laughs> that Solomon, it says that he assigned the regional managers over different groups of people. And I said, oh, Michael Scott wasn't the first regional manager. Like there were others in the, in the kingdom of Solomon. But it's the years of middle management. Yeah. It's the humility of um, mm-hmm. there is work being done mm-hmm. on the inside. Mm-hmm. And then yet, after a decade, mm-hmm. there is this kind of hot extract mm-hmm. and you're on, you have a physical expression of spiritual things. You invited mm-hmm. me and my daughter mm-hmm. to a session of puppy holding. <laughs> okay, let me just pause. This was a couple weeks ago. Like, who does that? And I said, yes. And I don't say yes to many things, but oh, when Jane no. Beale invites me, I find myself compelled to say yes. <laughs> and I felt uncomfortable. And you invite me into your home. You put a puppy on my lap. And it is the most gorgeous thing. I've never held a puppy. Oh. And I, it slept it for just, like an It hour. loved you so much, Momo. It really did, Jane. It was like care. Mm. Gen- it was Isaiah 60. Mm-hmm. It was like mm-hmm. robust well-being, saturated mm-hmm. in love, mm-hmm. like so precious. Mm-hmm. And you just, I, I found myself, I spent a lot of time with wild mm-hmm. animals, right? A yes. lot of time in wilderness. Yes. That's my space. Yep. There's a moment where I just think like, how does a puppy ever, so sur- like how does any animal oh, ever yeah. survive mm-hmm. from birth and infancy to make it in this world? Mm-hmm. And and there was just something so innocent. And the point being mm-hmm. is you invited me to an experience where like I could feel God's care. Mm-hmm. I could feel the sensuality, the compassion, mm-hmm. the mercy. Mm-hmm. And um, there's nothing I needed to do. Mm-mm. And so mm-hmm. you are now living an external expression of an internal world. Yes. Um, and so... Mm-hmm. Become Good Soil podcast. Like, I just mm-hmm. want to say, I think that's important. Like, the externals expressing things internally matter. Mm-hmm. You deal with shit all day. <laughs> Kids shit <laughs> yeah. and animal shit. Yes. Like, what has that done for you to be in real things mm-hmm. that are embodied with mm-hmm. these spiritual messages and missions? Mm. I feel that um, the experience is more fullness of God in my life and through me. I feel more connected to Him, yes, in the internal places, the invisible places. And now I have, I mean, the revelation God has just bestowed upon my, you know, my life in the, the gardening and cultivating soil and raising animals and and being with my children in all of it. Um, I mean, literally, very practically, um, what I'm learning about soil, which is so beautiful that this is the Become Good Soil podcast, is that in our culture, we have um, 
a certain education that teaches us that gardening is really difficult. And every single plant variety that's out there, I mean, you go look at the wall of plant seeds at the garden store, and every single one of them needs different sunlight. They need different care. They actually all need a little bit different soil. Mm. And they all, you know, they need different fertilize, mm. f- fertilizer, and on and on it goes. And as a new gardener, I was sort of like, Ooh, this is this mm-hmm. is kind of overwhelming. Yes. And then I've come upon a mentor who's teaching me and and uh, his method is just so saturated in God. It's unbelievable. I mean, I just I will get on YouTube and watch his tours for three hours. Mm. I've watched hours of him. And the guy has been living in this little He's been living the invisible, mm. you know, for so long. Mm. And now he's been handed a microphone. And he is just, the guy cannot not talk about the goodness of God. And he's teaching me how simple gardening is, Morgan. And my prayer with God as we've come to farming and gardening and um, changing the soil and planting an orchard is, Jesus, I— I feel behind in this too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt behind in motherhood. I felt completely unprepared for mm. motherhood. Um, and and now he's invited us into the connection with him through the the natural order. And um and I I my prayer is like, Jesus, I just I don't have a lot of time. You know, you know what's asked of me in a day mm-hmm. and the demands on my life and um the things I care about, I want to do this. And, and, you know, we live a pretty, like, simple life that's very home-centered. But even within that, there's, you know, a kingdom being, um, you, you know, ruling and reigning over what we've been entrusted. And um, and I just said, I, I don't want it to be complicated. I don't know what it is in me, but I just want some things not to be complicated. Mm-hmm. And he led me to Paul and this this— man, Paul, is teaching me that in order to restore the soil, he went to nature, he went to the forest, and he looked at the forest. And he said, you know what the Creator told me? He said, Paul, go go dig down just a couple inches and look at the soil. And so he's out in the forest and he digs down. And the soil is just rich and black and organic and alive. You know, dirt is actually not alive. Mm. It's dead. Mm. And soil is alive and organic and living and changing Mm. and sustaining life, feeding life. And he said, it just went on for me. A light bulb went on. He was like, oh, the creator showed me that it just, the land just needs a covering. Mm. I mean, you think about husbandry, like even like mother nature and husbandry as like the, the act of taking care of this feminine, um, you know, beautiful, organic, alive thing, yes. which is creation. And so we come in as like, you know, the role of this sort of, hus- you know, husbanding the the land and wherever she is bare, wherever she is exposed, our role is to come in and cover her up mm. with wood chips, you know, basically. It's just wood chips. Mm. I mean, to think that it's a tree, like and we think of God as you know, just the tree of life and and how even a dead tree is still alive. And it, like, when you take it and you chip it and you lay it out over the land, 
everything is there because the tree in its life stored up all these yes. nutrients and goodness and and life and sent it out to the leaves and the branches. And then the leaves fall, the pine needles fall, you chip the tree and it all goes back into the earth and it it acts as a covering. And I mean, just, I mean, the beauty of it all is astounding to me and God covering us in the garden. Mm. You know, I mean, he comes in immediately and he covers us with you know, Adam and Eve, it was with the leaves and just how we're made of dirt. And he covers us with, you know, the leaves that are full. The leaves are what are full of nu- like nutrient and life. And they're the the essence of what gives birth to the next things. And so very practically, I mean, these are the things that are coming up in my right. life as I am connected with, you know, my hands are in the dirt yes, and covered in manure or mud or whatever it may be. He has so much to say. If only we would listen. If only we could slow down and listen. Yes. He is, he's got a lot to tell us. So the wood chips are a wonderful transition. Because my son has yes. been on your land yes. spreading bucket by bucket, wheelbarrow by wheelbarrow, Bless lots of him. wood chips. Yes. In the context of wood chip spreading, he's wrestling with Benji and James. And mm. in that, um, yes. James wanted to show him some moves. You know, James is a little, little <laughs> yes. seven, a powerhouse of seven. Yes. And Joshua is kind of now a towering 16-year-old over six feet, you know, 190 mm. pounds. And James like pulls this move on him and Joshua says, oh my gosh, James, that was awesome. And James stops and he says, Mr. Joshua, in our house, we don't use the Lord's name in vain. And so I'm going to ask you, Mr. Joshua, when you're on our property or with our family, I'm going to ask that you would not use the Lord's name in vain. It was perfect. I wanted to wrap up this kid, this wonder, and say, son, don't ever change. You're marvelous. And he's fiery and all oh boy and relentless. Yes. And he stops and looks up at this towering ogre of a 16-year-old and, and calls him out on his language. Like, Jane, first of all, well done. Oh. Well done. Thank you. And secondly... How do you do that? <laughs> like your kids are in the most sacred way sheltered mm-hmm. from a sort of a worldly culture. You know, mm-hmm. St. Francis said to wor- wear the world like a loose fitting garment mm-hmm. where it touches you in a few places mm-hmm. and therein very lightly. Mm-hmm. Like I confess we are navigating um a, a relentless culture. It just feels mm-hmm. like whitewater where we've signed up for the suburban yeah. um, public school, mm-hmm. organized sports, traveling teams, and mm-hmm. we have been relentless, ruthless, I think mm-hmm. would even be a better word in trying to um, fight against the cultural tide mm-hmm. and, and live in the world and not of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it's a, it's a battle that you can lose heart. Mm-hmm. When James little James challenge big Mr. Joshua, it gave me hope. Like take me into the world and help me understand mm-hmm. how you are cultivating a culture mm-hmm. where a God-centered, family-centered atmosphere mm-hmm. is actually the primary atmosphere mm-hmm. of your family, mm-hmm. where 
you and David are mm-hmm. actually the primary educators mm-hmm. of your children, quite mm-hmm. apart from school choices. Yes. Right? That yes. you see yourself and you yes. embody the role as the primary ones responsible to educate and mature your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take me in. Um, it began with um, Jesus just, you know, the Holy Spirit just um, laid it on my heart when I held Benjamin and I looked in his eyes as a baby. And I thought, Lord, I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this apart from you. And it was just this prayer that emerged from my heart. And knowing my own experiences and what I battled through in life alone, I thought, Lord, I believe. I believe that there is a way to raise a family, even in this culture, even in this day, that is within your design. I mean, you... you made the earth you threw the stars into place you you know made puppy breath to smell good you made roses that bloom in the wilderness that no one will ever see i mean that is the god that i know certainly you have a design and a way for a family to emerge on this earth and still have you within them like i believe that that's in your heart um, please teach me, please show me the way. And so that, that rolled at least our family into the pursuit of understanding. I mean, I, I was public schooled. My husband went through private school. We, um, we weren't thrilled with our educations. We came out kind of thinking like, what, what are we here for? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Like, I feel like it would help if it was meaningful, but I don't really know what that is. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we we sort of you know began the journey of learning about home educating and what that looked like, and so that became a part of our story. A couple years after that, I just prayed. I said, Jesus, please, like, send me a mentor, send me someone who has lived this, who has walked this. Teach me, please, teach me. Assume I know nothing because I don't, and I need you. Mm-hmm. And so I found a mentor. I read a lot of her books, just voraciously. Um, she was a primary teacher to me early on. There were a couple exterior uh, books that we read that just gave us a lot of hope for what is going on in, um, in, in that particular movement. But the scripture that was grounding for me, aside from what the world says, like I needed to know what God said. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say a lot um, because I believe there's a lot of freedom. But what he did say in Deuteronomy, he said is, you know, keep your children close, mm-hmm. talk with them all the time. Like when you're eating meals, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, when you're going to the grocery store and when you're, you know, doing stuff around the house, like talk to them all the time and teach them, you know? And when I looked at the life of Jesus, because those are sort of go-tos for me, you know, what does God say about mm-hmm. this? Like, um, and and what is Jesus's life showing me about, you know, what it is that I'm I'm sort of inquiring? And Jesus left heaven and he took the humble position of a servant, and he set himself in in a context of twelve guys, but more intimately four, you know, three or four. And what I notice about how those three went and changed the world, yes, the power that went through them and out of them is undeniable. And I love when scripture where it says they were men who were uneducated but they were men who had been with Jesus. Mm. And I thought, that's it. That's it. And so 
my my orders early on, I could I just knew deep down like these are my disciples. I I don't need to go look out there somewhere in the world and go find them and you know even bring them into my home in a Bible study, which is so well-meaning and beautiful. But for me, in that moment, I I said, they're already here. Wow. I just need to have the humility and stubborn patience because it's just, you just want to get out. There's yes. so many times you're just like, really this? You don't this? get to call a timeout <laughs> I, ever. No. Ever. No. And man, it's just... I have never needed a God so much, Morgan. I've never needed him so much. And he's made so much of my fish and loves that I brought. You know, it's like, I am helpless. I know nothing about this. And yet, you are God, and you can do anything through this. And so, as that unfolded, I learned that you set a children, you set your children in a garden where they can flourish. You cultivate good soil for them. We're a very book-oriented family. I've learned a lot about story and reading to children. And so we have, you know, small goals of reading 10 minutes aloud a day to our children and um, and that we want we, we want their brain pathways to be formed in the direction of story because that is how Jesus communicated the eternal truths of the kingdom to his people, you know, and, and not everyone got it. Mm-hmm. But the disciples were the ones who came in closer and said, what did you mean by this? Tell me mm-hmm. more, you know, and, and I see that in my kids as we're reading stories and we're talking about life. So we have a very verbal home. Um, my children ask a lot of questions and uh, we can be totally overwhelmed by that, but it's, you know, deciding. We have so many opportunities every single day all the decisions that come our way, we have choice and we can choose life and we can choose death. And not everything is, you know, so black and white, but in in a in a deeper sense, yes, like in those moments, I have a choice to say, you know, I just don't have time for this. I'm, oh, you know, I got I gotta go do this other thing or I need to whatever. Or I can lean in and be like, God, I I do not have the patience for this but you do. Mm. Please, please sustain me. And so I turn my heart back towards my child mm. and I enter into the slow things and the questions that seem, you know, young and unimportant. And, you know, <laughs> and I think Jesus did the same. He knew wow. everything. He knows all of life. You know, and he turned his heart towards the disciples again and again, and he was patient and he had compassion on them. And so when you tell these stories of my little Jamesy, and I mean, like, I I just think God is like, I think sometimes we think that, like, um, the big miracles are what we're living for, you know, the... Um, the healing or like like in scripture we look at you know the eyesight being restored and um the deaf hearing and the lame will walk and demons you know being cast out by the sevens you know it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness and those are all good and beautiful jesus was showing us something about how the kingdom works you know and that he is he's restoring lives and making them beautiful again um but what i i've come to notice and i think might be a message for our people is that um, I think we're looking in the wrong place for the miracles that Jesus is doing all around us. It's not that he's not doing them. We're just looking in the wrong places. 
because I believe that there is miracles happening when you choose to stay in your marriage. And given that, that's a that's a loaded statement because so much of life is nuanced. But I say that, you know, choosing to stay in the fight, choosing to um, to love your children when you don't feel like it, um, to go up for bedtime and listen to their questions and hear their hearts and pray with them one more time. I mean, our bedtimes are so long and every day I'm like, at five o'clock, I think, dear Jesus, it's going to be a miracle if I survive this again. I mean, this is thousands of days in a row. But you're describing the with God life, right? <laughs> you're describing like it is an absolute dependency upon God. And mm. like you said, it's not for the big miracle. It's actually for the momentary miracles. Yes. It's every small moment becoming the sacred place mm-hmm. and re-envisioning these are my disciples. Yeah. Like to be faithful mm-hmm. with those entrusted to my care yes. begins under my roof. Yes. And everything and anything beyond mm-hmm. in my ministry mm-hmm. must be out of overflow mm-hmm. of family. How has this applied to marriage, this process of becoming good soil mm-hmm. and allowing God to interrogate you? Mm-hmm. to disrupt you mm-hmm. and say yes to a life that actually requires dependency, that to live your life in such a way where God has to show up or it, it literally will not work. Yes. Yes. What's it like? What comes to mind is turning over the engine on an old car. You okay. know, it sort of fits and starts and you're almost there. You hear low rumblings and then it doesn't go. And then you try again and it doesn't go. And then, you know, finally it gives and you're like, go! Oh, oh, and then it, it backfires and <laughs> yes. you think it's an explosion. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's it's fits and starts and, you know, you feel like you're maybe running in a moment and then you fall on your face. <laughs> and, you know, we had four children under the age of five and a half. Oh my gosh. And it's that just a lot a of... Like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> four children under five and a half. Yes. And you're yes. going after it. Yeah. And um, it just took took a long time to grow the things that were worth growing. And you have to choose to show up in the garden every day. You have to choose to water and you have to choose to pull out the weeds that keep popping up. And you have to go out and dream what what is going to go in the garden? What do I want to grow? Because we can't grow everything all at once. Yes. But you can grow some things really well and really beautifully that can can grow and and be meaningful in your life and then for generations to come. You know, gardens don't just last a single generation usually. And Can you give me um, an example of um, in the garden mm-hmm. of your marriage, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps like, What's an example in this process of becoming, Jane, where you feel mm-hmm. like David has championed you mm. and you're becoming mm. and where you have championed him? Oh, precious David. He has been so—so <laughs> when Jesus just really became so, like, vividly real and started really talking to me, it was the first time, like, 2014, just flooding me. I mean, it was literally go to this house and knock on this door of this person you just happen to, you know, we had a chance meeting, and Jesus told me to go back to that person's house um, 
we had no context of relationship and just knock on the door, you know. So it took me three weeks to go and do that. I literally drove by the house three different times and stopped in front of the house and drove away because I was too scared. And, you know, so just to give you an idea of Jesus, the Spirit, Father, just beginning to have his way in my life. And I came under eternal parenting and it was just beautiful and fast and furious and dynamic. My husband is also lives in the home and these things are happening for me. And I'm I'm also sort of surprised, but I run, I tend to run sensitive and intuitive and instinctive. And I just believed God was saying these things and doing these things. And it was the greatest joy of my life to know someone like God, the God of the universe was in this with me finally. You know, he'd always been, but I was now where yes. So as that's played out in our marriage, he has been so brave, so brave. It takes a lot of guts to um, go with God, especially when it's coming from someone else. You know, I think it's probably different when you hear it for yourself. So I remember May 2019, I had come out of a quiet time. We had, you know, Lily was our a one-year-old at the time. I mean, we had a baby. And and I was in my quiet time, and Jesus was very direct. I mean, we've had you know many, many years at this point where our dialogue and my conversation with Jesus is is you know fluid and fluent. And I, he said, I want you to do this and this. He gave me two things, and he said, I want you to go tell your husband about it right now and ask him and invite him into this. And I was terrified. I was terrified. I was being called into what I knew this moment. This moment for me was years, years in the making of actually being led to the country. You know, this dream that he'd set in my heart and, um, you know, what began through taking me through scripture and how scripture talks about seasons and God's, God's language of, of planting and harvesting and resting and sowing and you know, the winter when it looks like nothing's growing and everything's dead, the roots are actually going down deeper. And so, you know, the the swell of the country was in my heart and he had planted Colorado in my heart. Now, after we'd lived in Denver, the first year of our marriage, I promised I would never go back to Colorado. Mm-hmm. I didn't even need to drive through the state ever again. Mm-hmm. And um, And then Jesus, you know, five years later was like, you're going back. And I just thought, you got to be kidding me. Like, no, but I believed him. And so it came to this moment where I went out. I remember I went out into the living room and my husband's out there reading his book, you know, and I thought, oh, dear, this is just going to be just a rough start to the day. (laughs) Knowing my husband, he's an internal processor and likes to think about things deeply before he comes to a decision or, you know, um, on something. And I said, babe, I've got something that I I need to tell you. Um, Jesus just, you know, this morning we were talking and he um, he's really encouraging our family to take a camping trip uh, to Colorado. Uh, and I, I think we're supposed to leave real soon. Um, and I was also wondering, he's just now started his, you know, in this moment, he's a semester into his master's degree in counseling, marriage and family therapy. And and I said, um, and I was also wondering if you would consider 
uh, changing schools and moving to an online program. I know you just started um, at this school that you're really excited about. And would you just consider that? Okay, I'm going to go now. (laughs) I just, you know, my heart's like already off to the other room, but I just stood there and waited and he looked at me. And then we didn't talk about any of it for four days. (laughs) It's just, you know, that's where we were in our marriage. And then in that period of time, like, you know, the heat is, literal heat is kicking up in Phoenix. It's the desert. Between May, June, you know, it dumps from like 90s to 100s, and it's sweltering. And we had um, one of my dear friends was helping us just with all the babies because we had so many. And, um, oh, she's just a beautiful woman. Um, but she ended up her injuring her ankle, and she sent me a message and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm going to be out for the next month. I, I've got to rest my foot. And then the next day, our air conditioning went out, and we hired these guys. They came in. They totally ripped us off. They literally disconnected our air conditioning ducts and then left. And this is, you know, the beginning of the Become Good Soil, becoming a generalist of your home. And David got up there in the attic after the destruction because there was, um, what's that stuff? The insulation was falling through our ducts because it was all disconnected and we had no idea. And so David crawled up there. The attic is teeny tiny. And my husband is a quite, he's he's a tall man. Um and he wriggles his way in there, and he, he's like, babe, they totally, you know, we were ripped off. And this is a total mess. This is a disaster up here. There's insulation flooding all the air ducts and all that. So now we have no help. We have four children who are babies, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's 105, 106 and climbing, and you, you can't. I mean, you have to have AC. It's, you need water, you, you know, to live. You need AC in the desert to survive <laughs> the summer. And um, and that next day, David woke up and he looked at me and he said, let's book the camper and get to Colorado as fast as we can. And it was just like we got so pressed and, you know, pressed on every side. And uh David found a camper. It was a bit of a a jalopy, but we loaded up and we went. I mean, the toilet broke three days into the trip. We it, it was a miracle that we even made it to Colorado and then to Colorado Springs. We didn't even know how far we were going. I mean, it was literally just like the whole this whole journey is like overlaid with the like the layer of, of um Abraham's story for me because of how God's been speaking to me. And he took me to Romans 4 in 2015. And and he was like, it was, you know, it says like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Like God made faith of him because he he just believed him. You know, and what what did Abraham have to go through? He had to leave like where he grew up, the people he knew, the traditions they had. And God said, I'm calling you out of out from your father's house, out from the land you're living in, and I'm taking you to a beautiful place. You know, just trust me. Will you come with me? And I love, even in the process, like they start journeying and right before, like Abraham's father doesn't get to the promised land with him. You know, there's this like even separation of like, 
you know, there is a time to be under our parents, you know, as as um, coming into adulthood. And then there's a time where God calls you out, calls, you know, out from under whatever it is you are under and into like full-on life with God, like full of faith. There is no other option. It's risk. It's saying yes to the unknown. And um, and this was that moment for us. It was like getting the camper loaded up. Toilets are breaking. You've got six people, babies, diapers. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> Don't ever take a camping trip with babies. <laughs> it's just we're not made for that sort of thing. But we did it, and we got there, and— Man, I remember getting to Uray and David and I, it was the first night, it was like four or five nights, it was the first night the baby didn't just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry for hours. And by the time you get to the end of that, you're so spent, you just fall into bed and you can't think any a positive thought if your life depended upon it. And um, we we she went to bed and we went out on the back porch like we had um, rented a little shotgun place to kind of land for a moment for two nights before moving on. And mm-hmm. and the cottonwoods, we looked up and the sun was setting. The cottonwoods were releasing their cotton. It looked like summer snow, you know, and there was a river right next to us that was trickling. And we had a little fire going and David just looked out into the sky and he was like, let's do it. Let's move to Colorado. Oh. And I like all that that meant, and all that that like embodied. I thought he he said yes, like it's miracle of miracles, like you know, because it's both of us, it's both of our yes, you know, right? Yeah, you're risking, he's risking, you're championing, he's championing, Mm -hmm. both stumbling forward Mm -hmm. on 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 the greatest risk that God is in this. (laughs) Yeah. And that it's it's the process yeah. that matters most. Yeah. Yeah. Staying in it. We made it to Colorado Springs and we thought, this is this is where he's bringing us. Yeah. You know, and we we literally like he changed schools out of faith, like in faith. He transferred schools to a school he was not as excited to be going to, um, from the one he was at. And um we literally banged up. So right right before that moment, I had just finished the book, Waking the Dead. And I've read, you know, at that point, I'd read um, quite a bit of John and Stacy's material and um, listened to the podcast and stuff. And when he talks about the four streams, the stream of community, I believe, is my, yeah, just the community. I mean, it just, it literally pierced my heart because I thought, God, like, I feel like in some of these other areas, like the other streams, like we're we're, you know, we're in our canoe. We're we're heading down. We're, we're good. We're on the journey. But community for us has been like um, disappointing, um, disheartening. We looked for it in the church as a building mm-hmm. and didn't find it. Um, there's just, you know, you gather, but people live all over. Mm-hmm. And we live in an age where everyone sort of goes to the messages that sort of scratch their ears. You know, what is it? The Timoth- uh, Timothy 3 pass, you know, they're, um, 
we can we can um, order up our our specific latte, so to speak, right. of Christianity and right. what voices and teaching we want to hear. Yeah, it's like a and so to find people, and we do that in a sense, but at the same time, like I, there were moments we'd walk into a church and I would be in the space, and I could sense, literally within a year, I walked in and the spirit of God was there, and a year later. We were, you know, we'd been going for a year. Um, the spirit of God was gone, and I just thought, "He is moving on." Okay, I don't understand it, yeah. but I know it. I know, you know, as a collective presence, like he is moving somewhere else, and I, I, I want to go with him, mm-hmm. and I also want to be like Moses, who says, "Like I will not go unless your spirit goes with me." Like. I want to make sure that I am sensing this correctly. But I long to be with the people of God who are being transformed and changed. And for me, like if there's not change happening in a person's life, like if there isn't um, the gritty, like, you know, if they don't have their hands in the soil of their internal or their external, I'm sort of like, how? <laughs> what is going on? Like, how can you know God? Do you know God? How can you know God and not like, I mean, the things that I was in last year, like, and the things I'm learning now are, aren't even, I mean, they're all threaded together, but it's new and exciting and I can't even keep up with God. Like, I cannot even keep up with the spirit and all the ways that I could probably follow his, his sent down one path yes. and be there for days and months and years. Like, God is so vast and expansive and omniscient and beautiful and fascinating that when you're captivated with him and you love him, like time is the most frustrating thing because you're just like, oh Lord, please come back and like do away with time because I just want eternity to pursue and know you in all these ways and the people you've made and their stories and and all of it. So yeah, for my husband, it was just so risky and brave and valiant of him to to go with me and go, like the three of us, go with God to this place. And we didn't know what Colorado Springs held for us. Like literally, it was not a job move. It was the first non-job move out of 12 moves, you know. And we we didn't know what the other side held, but I I did believe that some aspect of it was community. He was giving us something that we had longed for. I believe that we are, um, we are all writers in a sense because God is, is an author. Um, I'm not talking about publishing books. I'm not talking about, um, you know, that, that world. I'm talking about between you and God and the page and putting on the page what is, what is in your heart. What is it you want? What is it you hate? What is it you're frustrated with? What is it that's challenging? What is it that is, um, what is it that like strikes you? When can you remember being moved by something? I think our hearts are um, trying to stay alive in a culture that is numb. We co-labor with God in our own story and we have to examine what is there, what's going on. Um, We've got to dig around a little and I would encourage you to just just pray, Jesus, Jesus, be the driving desire of my heart. Be everything 
and all of it and restore my instinct, restore my intuition, um, break agreement with any lie that you cannot hear the voice of God because you can. Jane, thank you for risking. Thank you for trusting. Thank you for hoping. Thank you for consenting to the path and the process of becoming a wholehearted woman who can be entrusted with more and more of all that God intended to partner with you to bring on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, Jane has offered some vulnerable, big ideas, big questions, and big prayers. My invitation to you now is to just pause and ask the Holy Spirit, what's for today? What's the portion? Through this podcast, what is it that God is accessing that's your spiritual frontier? And how is it that he wants you to put it into action on an operational level? Friends, thank you for joining Jane and myself on this Become Good Soil podcast. And as always, we'll conclude with a pause to slow down, to settle in, to do less, and to love more. Enjoy.